Uh, welcome to the Fresh Bread Podcast, number two. I bet you didn't think we'd make it to number two, but we are. Fresh Bread, we're a podcast of Grace Bible Church Gainesville. I'm Keith Kemp. Alongside me here is Pastor Brandon. Today we're going to look at a topic that is an interesting topic. It kind of uh, piggybacks with our uh, discussion on podcast number one at the, with the Asbury Revival, and it's something that is called cessationism. And uh, that is something that sounds like uh, when you're in history class and you're talking about the Civil War. But really, it has to do with uh, a doctrinal issue and a, something that's going on in the church right now that's, that's important. So, Pastor Brandon, are you ready? I am ready. I was born ready. What is cessationism? Can you define it? Well, cessationism is the idea that some of the gifts, more specifically tongues would be one of them. Uh, the ability to do miracles would be another. The ability to heal, like directly heal infirmities would be another. Cessationism would argue that those gifts, the more miraculous gifts, if you will, have ceased and are no longer operative. The question then becomes, why is that the case? And why would cessationists believe that they've ceased? And it's, uh, I think the general answer is because the, those, those gifts were given for a purpose, and that purpose was to authenticate the ministry of the apostles and those associated with the apostles, specifically to show that they had the authority to write Scripture. And, and so once Scripture was written, once Scripture, the canon, was closed with you know, the Apostle John, once that happened, there was no need for those, those gifts to authenticate the ministry of, of, of the apostles. So that's the definition of a of a cessationist. So the other side would be the continuous, right? That they believe that these gifts are continuing. Yeah, that that's. I mean, there are those in the church who believe that that those church those gifts are still operative today. There are those who have been who have the gift of tongues uh, that then speak uh, in tongues. There are those who have been have been given the gift of healing, and so they they can. They can heal people, you know, by laying hands on them and praying for them. And then be, to be clear, and I, well, we can kind of talk about this later, but to be clear, we're talking about direct healing. You know, the ability to lay hands on someone and that they would be healed of an infirmity such as cancer or heart disease or something like that. So that, that would, the idea would be that they have that ability to do so. So, yeah. Yeah. So as we look at cessationism, is that is that a biblical view? Or is there anywhere in Scripture where it says that these gifts will end? You mentioned something about when when the Scripture was complete. Yeah. What's interesting is, is that it, you're, you're not going to find necessarily a direct quote that says these gifts have ceased. I think as close as you're going to find to that is in the you know First Corinthians twelve through fourteen. In First Corinthians thirteen, Paul is speaking of well, starting really in verse chapter twelve, verse thirty one. He says, well, even backing up into verse thirty, do all have gifts of healing? Do all have? Do all speak with tongues? Do all translate? But you, but you earnestly desire the greater gifts. Now, the question is, what does Paul mean by that? You, you earnestly desire the, the greater gifts. And now, I think what we have to remember is that Paul is, this letter of 1 Corinthians is written as a corrective to the Corinthian church. 
And so I think what Paul is doing here is he's actually correcting them. And he's saying, he's saying that in a, it's actually in a negative way, but you are desiring the greater gifts. You, you think that you want these, these gifts that are more outward, if you will, the gifts of healing, the gifts of tongues, the, the translations of, of languages. So you think you want those things. That's what you want. But he says in verse 31, but I will show, or I, and I will show you a, a, a more excellent way. And then he goes into chapter 13. In verse thirty-one, I and yet I will I will yet show you a more excellent way. And then he then he says, if I have the tongues of men and of angels and do not have love, I've become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. So he's arguing that the more important thing is to love one another, is to is to to exhibit love. And he goes on to say, if I have the gift of prophecies and know all mysteries and all knowledge and all I have all faith and so as to remove mountains, but do not show or do not have love, I am nothing. And then he, then he even says, if I give all my possessions to the poor, to feed the poor, and, and I surrender my body to be burned and do not have love, it profits me nothing. And so he, he really is arguing that the more important thing is to love, is to love one another and, and to have love for one another, especially love within the body. And then he explains what love is. It, Love's patient, love is kind, verse 4. Love is, is not jealous, does not brag, is not puffed up, does not act unbecomingly, does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered. And he goes on and, and he says in verse 8, love never fails. But then he says this, but if there are gift of, gifts of prophecy, they will be done away with or done away. Mm-hmm. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. And so I said earlier that there's really, it, you know, it's hard to say, well, there's a specific verse. But if there is a specific verse that I would point to, it would be this particular verse. And part of that is, is because when, you know, the, the verbs that he uses here are actually passive in the passive voice. Uh, he's saying that they're going to go away on their own. So there's going to be a point, you know, he's saying there is a point where these things go away. And so going away is on, on its own. It happens, it, it, it isn't an active situation. It actually happens of its own. These verbs, verse 8, they're future passive. And so what that means is, is that it's, they're going to go away on their own. So the question becomes, when, when is that going to happen? I mean, so Paul's clear that love is never going to fail, verse 8, but that these gifts, they will be done away. They will cease. They they will be done away with. So the question is then, when is that going to happen? And he goes on to say in verse 9, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. So basically, we don't know everything. There's there's a the knowledge isn't complete. We prophesy in part. Knowledge is is not complete, or the prophecy is not complete. But then, but then he says, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away with. So or be be done away. So the question then becomes, what is is the perfect? I would argue that the perfect is the the canon of scripture. These things will be done away. I mean, I, I don't think anybody can can say that that's not going to happen because Paul is very clear that these gifts will be done away with. The question then is when, and he addresses that in verse 10. He says, but when the perfect comes, uh, the partial will be done away with or done away. The question is, what is the perfect? And I would take the perfect as being the canon of Scripture being completed. Uh, Just in terms of thinking how the church has 
progressed. You know, you had the apostles, you had Christ, and then you had the apostles. And the job of the apostles was to bring forth the word. They were the writers of the New Testament. So the New Testament came from the apostles and those who were associated with the apostles directly, like Mark was associated with the apostles. But they brought forth scripture and you had these miracles, these these gifts that, that gave them the authority. I mean, that showed, showed that they had or proved that they had authority in preaching and teaching and, and even writing scripture. But when the canon was complete, when canon was finished, the perfect was there. I mean, that they're complete, the perfect had come, then there was no other need for these miraculous gifts, so they were done away. So continuationists believe that the perfect is Christ, that when he comes back. But I do agree with you that Paul is saying that these gifts will cease. They will end because I think verse 8 is big. It's hard to argue with that if love never fails, but if the gifts of prophecy, they will be done. Gifts of tongues, they will cease. And if you turn over to in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 22, Paul says, then tongues are for a sign, not for those who believe, but for unbelievers. So that was a gift for unbelievers to see. And I think maybe we need to define tongues. Is tongues a known language or a heavenly language? Yeah, I think for, for sure a known language. So I that think be like Chinese or... Well, I think what we have to understand, you have to, it, it, what's helpful to understand is, is that at the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11, the Tower of Babel, God confused their languages. Mm-hmm. And so it's very significant that right after Genesis chapter 11, you have Abraham. The question was, if, if the languages were confused, the question then is, where's the Messiah going to come from? And even how are they going to hear the gospel? And how, how are they going to hear the good news of the Messiah if they don't understand the language? And so then you have Abraham, who's now represents Israel and ultimately then just kind of jumping ahead and I know I'm jumping you know a long ways but in Acts chapter 2 what do you have you have they are speaking in mm-hmm. tongues and so what are they speaking in tongues they're speaking in tongues of known languages so that they would hear the gospel in their own tongue so that they would hear the the message of Peter and the apostles in their own tongue and so Pentecost then becomes or is really in, in a great sense a reversal of Babel I mean it's a reversal of Babel and so that's why tongues existed is so that they could hear the gospel in their own tongue and so it wasn't this secret prayer language it wasn't this Babel it was was actually Babel, you know, the Tower of Babel. But it wasn't a babble in the sense of no one can understand it except for one person. No, it's an actual language so that they could hear the gospel in their own tongue. And so, yes, I mean, there was this God Spirit, the Holy Spirit, uh, allowed for men to be able to speak, to preach the gospel, preach the word in the tongue of a language that they didn't know or understand so that others could hear the gospel in in their own language. Uh, I believe that that's what's going on, and I think that's what was going on in the church. But once the the word of God came in, once the canon was complete, then you really, if you think about it, then it becomes a, a job of the translators to translate into to, to translate the canon into those languages so they can hear the Word of God or know the, understand the Word of God in their own language. Yeah, I agree with that. And Paul says it right here in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 18. He says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you all. I, I do believe that is a, that was a language, that a known language, that maybe he didn't know how to speak it, but he was able to speak it through the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I mean, I, so I mentioned Acts chapter 2, and I, I just wanted to give you, to, you know, give some more detail on that. It says in Acts chapter 2, verse 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now, there were Jews 
living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And so the, what was going on is that you had Jews that were in Jerusalem, but you had devout men from every, every nation who were speaking multiple tongues. And so they came here and now you see that they can understand in, in their own language. And so it's very clear to me, at least, I mean, in terms of what I see here in Acts chapter 2, that this is really a reversal of Babel. And now the, so the gospel is going to the nation and that's the purpose of tongues. And so what we see, what I would argue, what we've seen in the 20th century and now in the 21st century in in many churches is not for that purpose. It's not, you know, someone's, you know, preaching the gospel in a language that they don't know so that someone can understand it in their own language. Not only that, but we really, like I say, the the job of the translators are to take those language, the language of of the scripture and the Greek and the Hebrew and translate it into these languages so that people can hear the gospel and understand the gospel and understand ultimately the word of God, the canon of scripture in their own language. Yeah, this this gibberish thing that they do now, that is not found in scripture anywhere. But there is a verse that talks about a heavenly lang- or angelic language. Yeah, so I mean in Romans 8.26, Paul says that, I mean he talks about this, this language in, you know, this, I say language. He talks about groanings uh, too deep for words, but I, I, I don't see that as being a, you know, some sort of, you know, prayer language, secret prayer language. I think that, I mean, he says right here that he intercedes for us. And so we don't understand that interceding that he's doing. I don't think that's the same thing as this, as a, as tongues that Paul is talking about in other places, such as in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. I think that there there's no denying the fact that it is not the same. Because if it was the same, then missionaries would be able to go out anywhere and just not have to learn the language. We've known missionaries that are studying languages to translate. So we know that for sure, that it's different. So yeah, the tongues is not the same. The tongues have passed on as far as the same one that they had in the first century. And also, can you define prophecy? This is another one. Because when, when you look at 1 Corinthians 14, again verse 22 when Paul says so then tongues are a sign not for those who believe but for unbelievers it makes sense right they're gonna mm-hmm. Paul's gonna be able to speak in a language that you said even when Peter is speaking at Pentecost these other people will understand from other countries but then he goes on and says but prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers but to those who believe which makes sense when you talk about prophecy as being different than what we think prophecy we tend to think of as oh in three weeks from now meteor is gonna hit Russia prophecy was different right can you define that yeah I mean prophecy speaks forth the word of God. And oh yes, there are prophetic parts of scripture that, that the prophets spoke future things, but there's also the idea of preaching the word of God. And so in a sense, if I'm if I do expository preaching, it's a prophetic in nature in the sense of I'm speaking forth the word of God. Expository preaching, I'm I'm actually taking scripture and I'm using tools of understanding the language, the tools to understand the grammar and to understand the history and, and I'm breaking that down so that I can understand it in its context and I'm preaching the word of God. And that is a prophetic that is prophetic in the sense of preaching the word of God. But it doesn't mean that I'm actually coming up with scripture. It doesn't mean that I I'm actually speaking the word of God out of nothing. And that's what I think when they t- when people think about prophecy, they think, oh, well, you know, I'm coming up with something that the Lord is, has brought to me. I've got a word from the Lord. And, you know, there's a word from the Lord that's come to me. Well, so that's not the prophetic gift in terms of what, you know, how we would be understood in the New Testament. And that makes sense when you look at what Paul just said, but prophecy is a sign not to unbelievers, but to those who believe. So if it is just simply taking the word, 
and explaining it, exposing it to, to believers, that's, I think, what Paul's talking about there. Sure, and and he goes on. I mean, that you're looking at verse you know, 22, and he goes on in verse 23, Therefore, if the whole, the whole church assembles together and all speak in tongues, and an uninformed men or believers enter, will they not say that you are out of your mind? I mean, so, I mean, he's actually addressing the issue yeah. of, of this babbling kind of talk right here. Mm-hmm. And he's saying that that's not, that's not what's going on here, that ultimately that there needs to be order. And anytime that there's this babbling that's happening that people can't understand, they're going to think you're crazy. They're going to think you're out of your mind. I mean, he says that. I mean, they're, they're going to think you're out of your mind. And so clearly, I mean, again, we have to understand 1 Corinthians is a corrective to the church. He's correcting them. He's not saying that this is the way it should be. I mean, he's saying, yes, he's saying this is the way it should be, but he, you know, we have to be careful to understand it in that context, that it's corrective. Okay, so 1 Corinthians 14, that's where a lot of continuous say, look, this is what Paul's talking about. If you read that, he is giving an orderly way of doing the tongues and mm-hmm. all this. But again, as we look at it, was that simply for the first century church, is it not, when the gifts were were there? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that, yeah, I think that what's happening here is he's correcting the church at Corinth, and he's saying that this is the way it should be done. So if there's going to be, if there's going to be someone speaking in tongues, I take that to be an actual language, a known language. I take that to be meaning known language as in, you know, today we know that there's Chinese, we know that there's the Japanese language, that we know that there's different languages all over the world. Mm -hmm. So it's a known language that's being spoken in the church that then is being translated by the Holy Spirit or by someone who is led by the Holy Spirit, gifted by the Holy Spirit to do this translation, but it's an orderly thing that's happening. He's saying that's how it should be. What he's actually correcting, it seems like here, is what we would see more in the 21st century church, which is this idea that there's this out-of-control languages that are being spoken that are not orderly. And so, again, you have to remember, this is a corrective, not, he's he's saying this is how it should be. Now, you ask specifically, is this something that is for just the church, you know, the century church? I think so, in terms of that actual language and the translation of the language, because I would take it to be that when the perfect comes, I mean, I would take that to be the canon of Scripture, because we know that the canon is complete, and most Christians that, you know, that are solid Christians are going to say, yes, I mean, the canon is complete. And they're going to say, we, you know, you can't add to the word. And so, they, you know, they're, they're going to understand that to be the, the completed word of God, the, that it's all that we need pertaining to life and godliness is how Peter puts it. And so I think that that's what the church needs. And therefore, once that came, we didn't need these other languages. So there are, there are not apostles and prophets today like there were then. No. I mean, I think that's, that opens up a deeper probably a deeper discussion in the sense of, you know, what what was the purpose of those offices? You know, we know from Acts chapter 1 that the apostles were those who witnessed the ministry of Jesus while he was on earth from the beginning of his ministry to the to the end of his ministry and so that's a that's a closed office the last apostle was added in Acts chapter 1 you know after Judas dropped off they added Matthias and so once that was done then there was no more that that office was closed okay. and so then you you have the prophet the prophets that were in the New Testament I would take that to be those who were specially gifted to, to speak and preach the word of God prior to the canon being completed. 
and so they were they had a su- the supernatural ability to preach the word of god and and that be truth that it you know been witnessed by the holy spirit being true uh, but again once the canon was closed once the apostles had you know, built the the foundation i mean and it says this it says that in ephesians paul says in ephesians 2:20 that that the apostles and prophets they formed the foundation of the church and so if that foundation once the foundation has been formed there's no reason to go back and and build the foundation again and so the question then becomes what is that foundation well the, i would argue the foundation ultimately is the word of god now then you could say well christ himself being the cornerstone well why is that important because christ is the word I mean, that's John said it, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so, you know, even in the Old Testament, when it says the Word of God came to the prophet, you know, the Word of God came to the prophet Isaiah, I would take that to be the second person of the Trinity coming to Isaiah and speaking the Word of God, bringing those prophecies to that prophet. And so what we have in the New Testament is a similar thing. The apostles and the prophets are given that Word of God. They now have penned that and is now part of the canon. Once the canon is closed, the foundation is built, and now we're building upon that same foundation. So how about the argument then that would say that cessationists don't believe the Holy Spirit is at work today as powerfully as it was then, that we are sort of anti-Holy Spirit First off, we want to be careful because we don't want to attribute work that isn't Holy Spirit to the Holy Spirit. I think that's a dangerous, mm-hmm. that's dangerous to do that, to attribute something that, that isn't of the Holy Spirit could even be to the point of being blasphemy of the Spirit. I, I would be, I would be very careful with that. At the same time, I mean, I don't, I certainly don't want to be uh, limiting, you know, the Holy Spirit, so to speak. I mean, in terms of something that, that would be of him or not of him. But I think what we have to understand is, is that any work, quote-unquote, work of the Holy Spirit is going to match Scripture. And so we're able to go to the Word of God, and we're able to, you know, be Bereans to see if these things are so. And if the, if there's something that isn't, the, it doesn't match the Word of God, it's something that isn't from the Word of God, it doesn't, we can't show it in the Word of God, then we can't say it's true, and we certainly can't say it's of the Spirit. I agree. It's not that. Cessationists don't believe in miracles and healings. We do. It's just that we don't believe someone has that gift of, I touch you and you're healed. It's, it's the Holy Spirit that yeah. can heal. It's interesting. Even our Lord, you know, if you look at Matt, the book of Matthew, we're preaching Matthew in the, in, mm-hmm. on Sunday mornings through our series, The King and His, His Glory. It's interesting that, you know, in Matthew 5 through 7, what do you find? You find this discourse uh, this the Sermon on the Mount. So, but then after Matthew seven, Matthew eight, Matthew nine, Matthew ten, what do you find? You find a series of miracles. And so, what Matthew is doing even there is he is showing that God, that Christ has the authority to preach the word of God, to preach the way he did. And the authenticating part of that of what he's saying is the miracles are are authenticating his authority to to teach that teach the word of God or to bring forth the word of God. And so even with our Lord, we see that we see that that pattern of teaching and then authenticating it with miracles. But we don't need that because we have that foundation. We've been given the Word of God that has been already given by the authority of Christ and the apostles. So we don't need it anymore. So really, ultimately, what we need to do is anytime somebody says that they have a prophecy, anytime someone says that they have, quote-unquote, a word from the Lord, we need to go to the Word of God. And if it doesn't match the Word of God, then they don't. They don't. 
That's good. So is is God finished speaking for today? Is everything that he needs to say written down? He doesn't need to speak to us audibly anymore. I don't believe God speaks audibly today. I don't think that we're going to hear from him audibly. I think he's, he's given us what we need in this particular church age. He's given us what he need, what we need in, in the word of God. I don't think that, you know, I, I, you hear the, the stories of, you know, the guy was shaving and the, you know, the Lord Jesus came in and talked to him and spoke with him and conversation with him. I don't think that that is true. I think that, that he's given us everything that we need. I mean, even in Peter and second Peter one, three, that he's granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the full knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. So, I mean, where did that full knowledge, where does that full knowledge come from? It comes from his word witness to our hearts through, by the Holy Spirit. And he even, you think, well, you know, are you sure? I mean, how, how do you know that to be the case? Well, he goes on to say, this is very interesting. In Second Peter 1, 19, he says, and, and we have, uh, well, going back to verse 17, he says, for we, when we received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And so what Peter is talking about there is he's speaking of the Mount of Transfiguration where they went up on the Mount and they saw Christ's glory manifested in front of them. And they heard the Father speak these words, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And then he, he says in verse 18, we heard this, we heard this utterance from made from heaven and we were with him on the holy mountain and, and we saw this and, and it was certain, I, I'm telling you it was certain, it happened. But then he says this in verse 19, and we have as more sure the prophetic word to which you would do well to pay attention to as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your heart. Then he says this, Know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes by one's own interpretation, but no prophecy was ever made by the will of man, but men being moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. And so, again, what we see there is that you have an experience, probably arguably one of the greatest experiences anyone's ever had in this world, in history, and Peter says, but you have the prophetic word that's more certain. Hmm. that I, I can, and again, I take that prophetic word to be spoken forth by the apostles and the prophets being the canon ultimately of Scripture that we actually have, that we can actually read and understand and study that can be translated into multiple languages so that people can hear the gospel so that the nations can come to know Christ. Peter in first, or in Second Peter chapter 1, I mentioned it earlier, um, he goes on to say in chapter, or in verse 20, um, that no prophecy was ever made by the will of men, but men being moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. And so, again, testing the spirits, the idea there is, you know, if it's something that, that's being said that doesn't match the Word of God, then we, can't, we know it's not of the Holy Spirit. But if, I, but if I'm basically speaking what matches the Word of God, why do I need the prophecies? Yeah. I mean, what, what, why do I need further prophecy? Meaning, right. why do I need someone who's going who's gonna to speak forth the Word of God other than what's been already done, already spoken? And so if the Holy Spirit is the one who is authenticated and who has inspired, if the Holy Spirit is the one who's inspired Holy Scripture, then any prophecy is going to match what he's already said, So why, or what's already been said. So why do we need further prophecy? And I think the answer is we don't. 
Right, and and this is a whole other podcast, but as, as we look at books like Jesus Calling, where it's pe- people not satisfied with the entire Bible, they need a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I need a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And so they believe that it's a new word, but it doesn't match Scripture. And so yeah. that's what's weird about it. And that kind of well, brings me to... Oh, go ahead. But that's what's wrong about it. Right. We know it's wrong. We can, if, When we test the spirits, or when we're Bereans and we... We take the th- these things to Scripture to see if they are so. If they don't match Scripture, then we know it's not true. But if it doesn't, if it doesn't match Scripture, and we know it's not true, then why do we even need it? Exactly. Which brings me to my final question for you: Is cessationists are always accused of putting God in a box? Mm. That you're you're limiting the Holy Spirit by what it says in God's Word. So how would you answer that? I mean, yeah. I don't feel limited when I preach the Word of God. I don't feel limited in the sense of there's so much depth there, so much that I don't understand, that I'm so much and that I need to know more about. I need to, so much more I need to dig into. I don't feel at all limited in that way. Now, I will say, you know, again, we've, we said it, I think, in the last podcast in terms of, you know, the these things. I I, I don't I mean if there, if God is limited it's because he's li- he he he's limited himself mm-hmm. in the sense of his word says what it says his word is is written in stone and is unchangeable and so he can't contradict him, himself he can't contradict his word and so therefore anything that's contradictory to his word can't be of God it's it's just an impossibility for me I'm going to stick with with what it says in, in the word and I'm not going to veer off and go with things that I'm not sure of. I'm going to stay with what I know is sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. So. I mean, I mean, going back to Peter's word, Peter's words is that we have the prophetic word more sure. We have as more sure the prophetic word. Amen. God puts himself really in, in a box and it's called the Bible. So, well, we could probably go on for another three hours, but let's wrap it up there. We just want to... Uh, Thank you guys for listening.